Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. Everything we do here at Changelog is hosted on Linode servers. Pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location, and in seconds, deploy your virtual server. Drawworthy hardware, SSD cloud storage, 40 gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, nine data centers, three regions, anywhere in the world they've got you covered. Head to linode.com slash changelog and get $20 in hosting credit. Quest for Commits, a podcast that explores different perspectives in open source sustainability. On this show, we talk to people about the human side of code. We cover everything from community and governance to businesses and licensing. If you've ever wondered how open source projects get started, survive, die, or flourish, then you're going to love this show. I'm Nadia Ekbaum. And I'm Michael Rogers. On today's show, Michael and I talk with Christopher Hiller. Christopher is a maintainer of Mocha.js, a JavaScript test framework. He's currently a developer advocate at IBM. Our focus with Christopher was on managing his time on Mocha. We talked about how he inherited Mocha from TJ Holowaychuk and what surprised him about becoming a maintainer. We also talked about his experiments with raising money for Mocha, why money is only part of the solution, and what would happen if he stepped away from Mocha. Tell us how you got started as a contributor and then eventually become a maintainer of Mocha. Well, um, I actually started as a maintainer um, in uh, 2014 when TJ left Mocha and you know all his other Node projects. Uh, he he put a call out and says, "Hey, I need to have somebody take over my projects. Uh, you know they're up for grabs." And I at the time was a user of Mocha and I said, "Hey, I would like to help. I I, I enjoy using this this software and I don't want to see it die." And um, basically he just gave me the commit bit and didn't say anything. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. TJ was sort of unique in that, like most of his projects really didn't have any other contributors to them, like a pull request here or there, but he was, he was really pushing the solo maintainer thing. I think express did have a few other people working on it, but most of his projects were, were literally just, just him being the only maintainer. Right. Yeah, Mocha had um, at least like one other person, maybe another couple people on the periphery at, at the time I joined. But, you know, it, it they still weren't that active. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the story. I mean, I just I just joined up and I didn't really know what I was getting into or, you know, never I, I had contributed to my own projects. I'd contributed some to um, Angular UI. Um, which was an early um, kind of widget toolkit around Angular. It started uh, pre 1.0. And so I had done some open source contribution there, but um, I hadn't really been that involved in open source um, until Mocha. That's like a pretty crazy ramp up from being a user to being a maintainer. Did anything you had done before contributing to other projects prepare you for what that was going to be like? Um. No, I mean, not 
Yes. Okay. Yes and no. So there are things that in in my career as a as a software engineer or or what have you. Um, yeah, I had learned, um, for example, how to do a code review and how to receive feedback. And I, I don't like I don't view the code I write as an extension of myself. It's code is code. Um, and, you know, I wasn't really bashful about sharing it. And, um, you know, I think that was that was something I had prepared for. But as far as dealing with, um, I, I had never dealt, again, because uh, being a software engineer, you know, a lot of companies will kind of insulate you from your, your user base directly. And so if a uh, user of the software you're building has, has a problem with it or whatever, they contact support and support deals with them. And, and maybe if their problem is bad enough, support's going to contact you. And in some cases, and this is, you know, not, not true, obviously, across all companies that, you know, eventually an engineer will get to talk to an end user. But I, I didn't have a lot of that. Uh, and so I wasn't really well versed in, in how to deal with, with users or, or what they expected. Um, you know, there were many, many issues. Um, and, you know, I, I, like to think that I learned fairly quickly how to not be a jerk um, and kind of uh, you know be polite about about pull requests and stuff. Um, but you know, it, I, I certainly made quite a bit of you know mistakes there. I don't, I didn't really know too much about semantic versioning, um, and that caused some problems. Um, I remember a big one was. Uh, at some point, I decided, and um, there were a couple other maintainers, to change the default reporter. So Mocha is a, a, a testing tool, and uh, the reporter is, is how you receive your test results. Change the default one from one which was very sparse to one which was one more verbose. And we did this in a minor, um, and a lot of people were, were really upset about that. <laughs> Uh, so, so I got a lot of, of flack for, for, for changing the output, not, not the API. And that was kind of surprising. And since then, I've tried to, and, and really tried to drive this home with other contributors that, you know, we need to play it safe, um, given the size of the user base. So looking back, uh, it's interesting, like, like you're talking about a lot of the biggest challenges have been kind of community-oriented stuff. Um, when you first took over the project, did you view the the biggest challenges as being technical or being community related, right? Like, did you see a long list of kind of features or bugs or technical issues, or did you really see it as like, okay, we have to get contributors and make people happy? Um, because it sounds like in retrospect, the, the hard part was actually the community side. Um, when I came on, we had a lot of open bugs. Um, I looked at those bugs. I said, "Oh my gosh! Look at look at this thing! Look at the terrible state Mocha's in!" And so I wanted to go in and fix them, and, and I, I felt like that was the highest priority. Well, you go and you start fixing bugs, and uh, it, you can do that to an extent, uh, but the, the coverage for Mocha wasn't so good at the time um, of itself. You know, Mocha would uh, have tests to test itself, and and we would kind of <laughs> I would get into trouble when I was trying to fix a bug because I would break something else. Um, 
And so at the time, I, I felt like, well, there are all these things that need to get fixed and all these features that need to be added. Um, but pretty quickly, I realized, well, I can't do this all myself. And so, yeah, I need help. And so I started to reach out to basically get more help. Uh, some people that were with the project originally um, maybe had learned something that I didn't at the time. Um, you know, they had said that you know, Mocha's in maintenance mode. And I was like, well, nah, you know, we've we've got some features we can add. Um, you know, I think it's a, a good idea to add these things because there's a lot of people that want them. And But, you know, I, I think what I maybe didn't realize was when, when a project isn't adding features, it's not necessarily the for, for technical reasons, you know, it's, it's because there's just not a whole lot of people interested in con contributing to it. So at the time, no, I, I didn't think it was a community problem, but I came around and, and started to see, well, I, I just can't do this all myself as much as I'd like to. And, and I need help. And so that's kind of started me down the path of, of looking for ways to keep the project sustainable. How long did it take you to figure that out? You said you took it over in like 2014-ish. Yeah. Um, at some point, I, I decided um, that it would be good because there were a, a handful of features that were basically impossible to deliver with the current architecture. Um, I felt like doing a refactoring of, of the core of the system would be a good idea. And I got some ways on that. Uh, I was doing it by myself. Um, it, it didn't seem like anyone else was really interested uh, in helping, though I wasn't very vocal about it. Um, after that, I, I worked on that like kind of refactor for about six months, um, and it didn't really go anywhere. Meanwhile, Milka was just kind of languishing during that time. So it, it took me... I don't know. I, I want to say I was I was working on the code base for at least six months and then this rewrite for another six months after that. And then once I kind of came up for air, uh, realized that wasn't getting anywhere. Um, that's when I said, OK, we got to we got to figure out this community problem. Do you feel like you've learned those types of challenges about being a maintainer on the fly, like was just sort of through experience and realizing when things weren't working and sort of guessing at what happened next. Did you have any mentorship or did you, you know, read stuff from anyone else to, to figure that out? Like, how did you learn how to be a maintainer? Mm. Uh, well, a lot of it was by the seat of my pants. Um, you know, different, different projects demand different types of maintenance i suppose and and so mocha in particular is a project with a a very large user base um the uh, code itself is pretty touchy and so you know i learned to be a very cautious type of maintainer um i i didn't have a, a mentor um no, uh, you know, I I had become interested in in sustainability about when when I came for era after the rewrite and decided, you know, I I need help. Um, you know, how do I do this by myself? I want to learn how to how to do this better. Uh, and I started reading articles and, and such, but um, no, I, I I didn't really have anybody to tell me how to do it. I I would have loved that. Um, you know, there are, I think, resources now that I didn't have back then that I, that I would have loved to have. 
one thing that we've touched on on this podcast before, but we haven't really explored enough is um, how hard it is like competing for people's attention, especially contributors attention. Um, and, and I'm just recalling back to like like 2008 when John Messick first wrote Q unit. One of the things that he kept talking about was that he wasn't saying use my test framework. He was literally talking about how fun it is to write a test framework and how much you learn <laughs> as an exercise. And I mean, Still to this day, there are just more test frameworks than maybe any other type of library. And there are more people that just decide randomly to write their own test framework. Uh, and I'm wondering if that has been a particular challenge with maintaining a test framework where like people just are too willing to go, you know what, I think it would actually just be fun to go and write one of these myself. Um, have you has, have you experienced that? Uh, I've definitely experienced some disgruntled users that did not like, uh, you know, our decisions and, and, you know, I'm going to go write my own, blah, blah, blah. Um, we can say Aaron Hammer. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, he's, a, he's a good friend. I can, I can call him out. I think lab happened long before I came on. So I wasn't, I wasn't right. like... Yeah, I was, <laughs> I, I was not privy to that discussion. Um, but y y yeah, uh, no, that's that hasn't really been a thing I've been too too worried about or, or concerned about. Certainly, um, there have been some uh, newer frameworks um, that are are gaining steam or you know have have got a lot of interest and and you know. <sighs> I, I think that the, the I, I mean, I'm not like worried that, you know, somebody who could contribute to Mocha is instead going to go contribute to Ava or Jest or some something that's the new hotness. Right. I'm not worried about that. I mean, what what's a little bit frustrating is is simply um, the allure of the new thing and, you know, how, oh, you know, this is a new project um we need maintainers um we need contrib contributions uh it's really exciting hey everybody let's join up give me a bunch of get github stars and let's let's do this and you know that's that's been a little frustrating um because you know i feel like there's a lot more attention on those other frameworks while there's still many 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 more users of mocha and um you know it gets a lot of mind share but and that's one of those things where it's I don't know that's that's kind of a, a bad analogy, but I was going to say the the like the loudest voices in in politics tend to be focused on like one one particular issue, um, and you have you have this feeling that there are actually more of them than there really are, uh, and you know that's that's not really the case. But I would love to have you know find find a way to make a project that's already existing make it like and maybe this is what i was thinking about with the rewrite at least in part was make it new make it exciting um you know some sort of marketing push i don't know a new website uh, social media all that stuff um word of mouth like hey what's old is new again let's contribute to mocha look how look how awesome it is um that would be cool, but I, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea how to kind of get that attention um, for the project. Um, it, it wasn't until very recently, I think sometime last year, late last year, that Mocha actually crossed 10,000 stars. 
and you know there are projects that cross ten thousand stars. Um, you know this is like just a, a silly popularity uh, contest type thing, and and there are projects that will cross that within a week if they get on the right website. So it's it's kind of just the old standby. It's kind of boring and dull. It does what it does, and it usually does it well. Um, and I think that's why it's so popular. It's just simple and easy and works. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think like in the NPM rankings, it's like the number one dependent upon, right? Yes. Um, and the number two is, is Chai, um, which is the assertion library that a lot of people use with it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's by, by a long ways, um, you know, Mocha's uh, used by a, a ton of projects on NPM and, and, you know, even more on, um, you know, just GitHub projects that, that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. published. Um, you know, and I never knew any, any of that before libraries.io, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just, just for, for reference, there may only be 10,000 stars, but there are over 200,000 downloads in the last day. <laughs> so it's yeah. definitely, you know, being used and depended on at a, at a rate much higher than people are sort of saving it on GitHub, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I I think that's kind of a criticism of that that I've heard before of of GitHub star, stars that they don't really have anything to do with the the actual like real life popularity of a project or the the maturity of a project. They're just kind of I, I don't even know what they are. But um, it, it was cool when we did pass ten thousand. But yeah, I, I I just wish there was a good way to get more attention. Um, and and not do it in a way which is um, help <laughs> like we're drowning, you know. So yeah. it's just making me. I'm just thinking out loud a little bit, but I mean, it's this perennial problem with not just maintaining open source projects, but I think it's exacerbated there. But any kind of maintainery duty or infrastructure or anything, even outside of software, that's it's always really hard to keep people's attention. And I'm trying to think about what does keep people's attention. I think often it's community um, is what I see in older software projects, at least. Um, there's sort of like a, a cult of brand or personality or something where people feel like this like love and devotion for a project, even if it's not the new hotness. It's like the people that will keep it there. That's, that's the only thing I can think of that really competes against like shiny new technology. What about in, instead of just a project that you consume, what, what if that project was also a platform um, and people could build upon it and um, you know, make new things all the time? I mean, that's another way of thinking about it. I don't know if it's possible for every project to be able to do that. I think even, even when you get into that space, I mean, you know, Node is sort of in that space. There are other libraries, um, even smaller ones like Browserify, right, that are you know, you would think that at some point they could maybe be done and that everything would just be built on top of them, but it, it just never really happens. Like the the world on top of them is changing enough that the, the demands and the environments that they end up in continue to, to evolve as well. Up next, we're talking about funding experiments and Mocha was asked early on to participate in funding their project on Open Collective and something unexpected happened. They started getting donations. More donations than they knew what to do with. It became a challenge to know what to do with the money being donated. What the project really needed was time, attention, and community. And they started asking questions like, 
How do we raise the profile of this project? How do we turn the money being donated into what the project and the community really needs? Money tends to complicate things and create conflict, so is money the real solution to sustain open source? If you have money, where does it go? How do you spend it efficiently? We ask these questions and more after the break. This episode is brought to you by Hired. Hired matches outstanding people with the world's most innovative tech companies out there. Hired uses an algorithmic job matching tool in combination with a talent advocate who will walk you through the entire process of finding a better job. You might be looking for a more flexible work schedule, more money, or remote jobs so you can travel and see the world. You might be looking for opportunities at Facebook, Mixpanel, or Squarespace or the many other top tech companies out there looking for engineers on Hired. You and your skills could be a valuable asset to any of these companies. You just have to take the first step. That first step is Hired.com slash changelog. Go there, learn more. Our listeners get a special $600 hiring bonus when you find your next opportunity on Hired. Once again, Hired.com slash changelog. Let's get into some funding experiments that you've gotten involved in. Um, so first, why, why don't you tell me a little bit about Open Collective and uh, what made you want to try that out um, as an experiment for getting some funding injected into Mocha? Um, yeah, I hadn't really considered going for funding um, before Open Collective. Um, I, I, I can't recall, but I feel like that team actually approached me um, and I, I can't recall why, but uh, at the time they hadn't had too much interest. I believe there may have been um, a, a few projects that that had um, what they call collectives, um, and uh, it. I don't. I think Mocha was the the first really kind of popular one, and so they they talked to me and. I said, well, free money, sure. Like, what what could it hurt? And uh, I also thought, well, you know, if if this takes off, maybe it's a really good way to get some more attention around the project. Now, I went into it with, you know, no illusions that, you know, we were going to get so many donations that I would be able to quit my job and go work on Mocha full time and live off donations. I didn't think that was going to happen. That said, that would be cool if that happened. Um, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I didn't. You know, I, I didn't expect it. Um, and so, you know, I, I I felt that sort of thing was kind of a um, more of a means to an end, which was the, the end was the community, and and um, it, it wasn't really money per se that the project needed. It was it was time and, and attention and. Um, I was hoping that, um, you know, by getting some some funds injected into the project, we could use those funds to um, 
raise the profile uh, of the project or uh, that sort of thing. Now, I, I absolutely don't have any sort of marketing background. I, I don't know anything about you know social media. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to how to like you know if I had the money, what would I do with it? I, and and it turned out that um, not only did I not know what to do with it. Uh, I, I didn't even have the time to spend the donations that we had. And so it, it, it became kind of a challenge to figure out, you know, well, what do we do with this money and um, how do we turn this money into what, what the project really needs? Um, you know, our, our monthly recurring expenses um, were $14 a month before NPM decided to give organizations to open source or, or public or whatever um, projects. And so they, you know, made that free. And so now we have no expenses, but we have some, some money and I don't really know what to do with it. Um, I would love to figure out a way to, uh, I don't know, maybe send t-shirts or something to a, a conference or, or who knows what. Um, but I, as I said, I, I don't know, like what's the best use of that money um, to get more, contributors. Where did that money come from? Is it from companies, individuals? How did you just sort of end up having $12,000 a year? Um, the, let's see, we, we had like a one-time donation from Yahoo of, of, I don't know, $500, I think. Um, we had a one-time donation from Auth0. Um, and the other thing was Soth Labs um, has been donating five hundred dollars a month um, for quite a while now, and so they're kind of Mocha's big sponsor um, in, in terms of corporate sponsorship. Um, there aren't any other you know, corporate sponsors uh, of Mocha other than Soth Labs, and the rest is individual backers. Um, you know, it's usually two dollars a month, five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, a dollar a month, um, and these are just simply individuals. That's a lot of people donating two or five dollars a month. That adds up to, I mean, the budget that you have now. I mean, it says it says something about people that love it enough to donate. I guess, right? Yeah, and there are quite a few of those people. And you know, what I wanted to do, and I was so excited when I when we got our first, you know, backer, and, and I sent out a tweet. I was like. Hey, thanks for backing. And, and then, you know, the next five people that decided to back us and donate, I sent out tweets. And then uh, <laughs> there was like 100 people or whatever. And, and, <laughs> I, and I get like several emails a day. Um, So-and-so has donated, you know, $2 to Mocha. And like, I, I want to shake everybody's hand and and say thank you individually, but it just like it doesn't scale very well. I don't know if if Sean Larkin and Webpack have figured out how to do that. And maybe I mean he spends a lot of time on Twitter, but you know, <laughs> I, I it, that, that doesn't scale. I, I would love to to be able to to do that, but I haven't found out a good way to do it yet. That works for me. Yeah, there's definitely a scale issue there. <laughs> I think that. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I raised a very tiny amount of money in, uh, oh God, what was it like get bounty or bounty source or one of those like back in the day. And I think the money is just still sitting there because the, the request project just could never figure out what to do with it. We really had the same problem. Um, you obviously have a lot more money <laughs> so you could figure something else out, but like what, what's keeping you from, um, you know, paying somebody or even yourself, uh, for a few weeks to build out a feature or something like that. Like, is there, are there like some, some incentives that you're worried about or messaging that you're worried about around that? Um, yeah. So that's kind of, we tried that. Um, and so, uh, there were uh, a couple things that, um, needed to be needed to happen and needed to get done. And, um, there, uh, it was myself and a, and a couple other maintainers. Um, and so we worked on these tasks and, and build for it. And we had kind of decided, okay, we're going to work on these and build for these and you do this and I do this. And, blah, blah, blah. and so that worked out. And then uh, what happened was I wanted to work on something else and said, okay, I'm going to build for this too. And it was part of this, this rewrite. And, you know, one of the other maintainers uh, disagreed and says, you know, we shouldn't bill for that. And um, I you know, asked him why. And he says, well, it's fun. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, I, that, that was that was kind of strange. And I thought, well, you know, if 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 I'm not having fun, why am I here? Um, and if I can't like make money or whatever doing things that are fun, like what, what's, what's the point? But the, the point is that, you know, people are going to have different ideas about what, you know, is worth actual money. Money tends to complicate things. Um, and, you know, who, who, who is, is to say that, you know, if, if I need to do, if I do some task and bill for it and get paid, what if somebody came along and said, well, I would have done that for free. And, and it just, it, it just complicates things. I think it creates conflict um, where it, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem like the way we do it anyway, or we tried to do it worked out at all. Um, I'm not sure how um, I know. I know Webpack has a, a, an idea of how to how to spend their funds. Um, I haven't looked too deeply into it, but I know it, it didn't work out well for us. And we had re actually received uh, advice from some other projects that says, you know, you just want to keep money out of the development um, and, and use it for things like recurring expenses and services and stuff because it just like. I don't know it. Uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? It's like perverse incentives or something. It can it can cause cause issues, and I think a lot of people in open source software are 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 kind of afraid of money. Um, and I, I understand that you know, just from personal experience that it can cause a problem. Yeah, I, I, I spoke with Sean a little while ago, and and one of the things that he said was that he he focuses on things that nobody else wants to do because of this particular problem. Um, but at the same time, Sean has a full-time job and he's doing like 20 hours a week of work that nobody else wants to do on Webpack. Like he, that's not sustainable. Like he's going to burn out. I, can't, I don't see a world in which he doesn't burn out doing that. Something I've been 
I feel like this has been a recurring theme this season too of thinking about if you have money, where does the money go and how do you spend it efficiently? And it, I mean, from both of your stories, it's, you know, small amounts of money can be really awkward amounts of money because what do you do with that? And uh, a big distinction that's been coming for me is do you fund a project? So do you do fund Mocha or do you fund your time? And yeah, I mean, the the examples I've seen that have been more successful are where the project itself can be sustainable in the sense of money is not coming in and out to the project beyond, like you said, recurring expenses. But it's more about if someone already internally wants to work on the project and is able to find the time, whether it's from their employer or whether they get raised money and get paid to do it or whatever, that works. So I'm wondering, like, have you ever asked an employer to work full time on Mocha or have you thought about finding ways just to like sponsor yourself? Um, well, yeah. So, I, I mean, I have a full time job as well. And so, it, you know, working on Mocha in any regular capacity is just kind of beyond me right now. And I'm, I'm not able to do it. And of course, I tried. But yes, I, I, I burnt out. Um, and so. If I was going to do that, it would need to be through an employer. Um, but uh, I've I've yet to have an employer where you know working on Mocha kind of made much business sense for them. Um, it's it's a tough one um, because you know Mocha is it's part of the test stack. Okay, and so. Number one, your product um, manager or or what have you is is not going to care too much about what that tech stack looks like, um, and is is only going to really care if you know the the software is quality. And so basically, we're going to leave the the testing up to the developers, and that's their thing. And it's really hard for developers to get, I think, uh, like visibility for for these types of, of tools that they use and, you know, justify to employers that yes, this tool we use is very important. Um, there are other tools like maybe a web pack that help build production websites. And that's big. Like that's something that they can kind of wrap their head around. Um, but, but a project like Mocha or, or maybe a project like, like Babel, like these are, are behind the scenes things that, that aid development they don't they don't have like a direct impact on on like your your download speeds or whatever of your site or or what have you and so um yeah it's that's kind of it's kind of tough to just you i i can't even pitch it you know to to <laughs> my employer that you know i should spend time working on this thing because i like i can't justify it to myself like yeah we need to this project needs help, but it really has nothing to do with the, the business goals. You know what I mean? It's just all about, yeah, we want quality, so write the tests, but does that test framework really, you know, does it need me to hack on it to make that quality happen? And the answer is no. If you were starting all over again and you have to think about, or let's just say even if you were TJ and you were trying to figure out, like, where this project goes long term, would you? Is there anything that could have been done differently, um, or is this just sort of the inevitable way that projects kind of unfold? Yeah, I think if if I mean I don't want to blame TJ because it's 
it's not really his fault. Like, you know, if, if we as the open source community had known in, in 2011 or whenever he wrote this, what we know now about how to grow and sustain a project, like sure he would have done things differently. Like, well, you know, why wouldn't he? Um, I would, if I was going to start over and do it again, sure, I would do it differently. You know, I would make things much more friendly to, to contributors. I would um, work a little harder on documentation. Um, and, you know, we would maybe have chat rooms, forums, uh, you know, all sorts of other things that, that weren't really part of the idea. I mean, I, I think Mocha um, was another project where a developer decided, decided to scratch their own itch and, and make a tool that was useful for them. And, you know, I, I don't know if he envisioned that it would get as large as it has. Um, large meaning, you know, in terms of the user base. Um, but, yeah, no, there are definitely things I think would have been done differently. And, you know, if it was starting today and like new projects do, you know, I see lots of new projects with uh, contribution guidelines and, and very, very clear bullet points on, on how to how to, how to contribute, how to become a maintainer, and codes of conduct, etc. Actually, just today, I merged a code of conduct for Mocha. Hey. And that was a long time coming, so. Nice. Thank you. Um, I, I can't remember who it was, but somebody sent a PR, and yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. You also joined um, the JavaScript Foundation recently, right? So did you pursue any other form of project-focused funding or support, um, any other types of grants? Um, yes. Yeah, so there, uh, Mozilla has a open source funding program called Moss. Um, and what the program does is it awards grants to, um, various open source projects. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe Mocha would be a good, um, candidate for that. And the reason I thought that was because Mozilla publishes a list of open source projects they most widely use internally. And the the top project on that list was Mocha. And so I thought, well, crap. I mean, you know, Mozilla is invested in Mocha. Why why not? And so I reached out to some people at Mozilla and um the the feedback was was kind of mixed. Um you know, I, I heard uh, that somebody would be willing to, to, to sponsor me. And so part, part of that grant process is that you need a internal Mozilla employee to kind of sponsor or, or vouch for the open source project. And I found somebody to do that. But I had also talked with with a few people and I had listened to the this podcast, the Request for Commits podcast. And um sometime back there was a interview with uh, Max Ogden, I wanna say. Yes. And um the whole episode was about grants and funding and um like how how to get a grant for your open source project. And so I had listened to that and just kind of like I don't think so. So, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the fun, I mean, if you're doing that, if that's your thing and you have time to dedicate to that, sure. Like, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of, of networking involved and hobnobbing and 
And I believe one of the things that Max said was, don't apply for a grant unless somebody at, at the at the foundation approaches you and asks you to apply for a grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, crap. I mean, that's, you know, well, nobody asked me, so maybe that's not a good idea. But furthermore, like, it, it, it certainly sounded like there was there was a lot of time and energy involved in securing grant funding that I simply didn't have. And another issue um, with Mozilla in in particular was uh, if they are to award a grant, they um, are, I I don't know if the the text says they will not or that they're unlikely to, but it's something like they are unlikely to award a grant to an individual. And so if I was to get a grant um, from, from Moss, uh, I would need some other entity, a legal entity, to accept the funds and disperse it to me. And so I don't have a legal entity. I am just me. Mocha does not have a, um, you know, there's, there's open collective sponsor, sure, but, you know, there's no company behind Mocha. It's, it's a pure kind of bootstrap open source community project. Uh, it came from, you know, an individual. And so um, I had went to the JS Foundation and asked, you know, what if you went ahead and were my legal entity if, if I was to apply for this Moss grant? And the, the, the reaction was mixed again um, because you know, I, I don't think they've had great uh, success with uh, you know paying individuals or, or dispersing funds to individuals for code, and so I, I wasn't sure what the story was there. But he said that you know we would consider it, but you know you would have to apply and and you'd have to write up the the grant proposal. And at that point, I was like, I don't know, I, I don't have time to write up this grant proposal. I'm not going to even embark on this if I'm not pretty sure I'm going to get it. So I didn't, um, and that's kind of the story of the Moss grant. I'm uh, glad we played some small part in that decision. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, one way to read it is it's a not ideal outcome to not have applied for a grant. But I think, I mean, this is my experience with, with venture as well of people. It's better than the belief that some people have of this is just free money. It's super easy to get. I'm just going to like try it and, um, and not knowing like all the, the hard work that, and, like it's like a full-time dedication kind of thing to be able to get that kind of money. So um, yeah, in a way, I and, think it's actually a really good thing to, to just know that about yourself. Be like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Well, no, it's not even about me. It's just like I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known that, oh, it, it's not just free money. I can't just apply and, and wait for, for a check, you know? Right. Uh, I wouldn't have known the difficulty because I, I, I don't know anything about grants and never applied for a grant without without the show um, or, you know, just talking with a couple couple people. But I, I knew that I, I was simply not going to have the, the time to dedicate to pursuing grant funding. Um, again, you know, full-time job. So chose not to do it. In this last segment, we ask questions like, can a project do all it needs to do and be done? Can a project be done? When can a maintainer walk away and say, that's as good as it gets? Specifically, Nadia asked Christopher, when does he feel like he could step away from Mocha and what keeps him from doing so if he hasn't? 
Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Bugsnag. Bugsnag is mission control for software quality. And on this segment, I'm talking with James Smith, co-founder and CEO of Bugsnag, about the core problem they're solving for software teams and why you should head to bugsnag.com slash changelog to test it out with your team. Let's start with, um, you mentioned you and Simon. So you, you guys obviously at one point didn't have this company, right? So as founders, as engineers, you got to a problem. What was that problem? Why does Bugsnag exist? Uh, Simon and I, my co-founder, I met in college. We went off to build software for other companies. I ended up in a startup. He ended up in enterprise software. And we had the same problem in both of these companies. When things break, it's really hard to figure out how badly they're broken, who's impacted, and what to fix first. So we both had this problem ourselves. So we decided, hey, why is no one doing a good job of fixing this problem right now? So very much Bugsnag was born out of uh, scratching our own itch, as they say. One thing that we find all the time is that there's this tension in software teams or in product companies where you want to deliver new features to your customers or you want to build cool new stuff. But at the same time, you've got to fix bugs because no matter how good a coder you are, you're going to introduce bugs. But there's no clear definition of where to set that slider. Should I uh, be fixing bugs now or should I be releasing features? And so this tension exists, I think, in all product teams, all software teams. If you don't have a tool like Bugsnag, it's very difficult for you to figure out where to spend time. And so that's the idea here, is we're trying to help teams understand whether they should be building or fixing, because there's a bit of a delicate balance between both. So if your team is unsure of how to spend their time building or fixing, give Bugsnag a try. It's free to get started with a 45-day extended trial exclusive to our listeners at thebugsnet.com slash changelog. We've talked to other folks before who have talked about whether a project could just kind of be done at some point and what that would mean to be a maintainer on a project that could just sort of be done. Um, and you talked about a little bit about this, of trying to figure out the scope of Mocha moving forward or whether it needs new features or not. Um, do you feel like Mocha could ever just be done and you could walk away and say, that's as good as it is? Yeah, I, I think I think we could get there. Um, it, it could be done now uh, if we wanted it to be done. Um, we could decide not to add any new features. Um, there are certain things that we do have to keep adding. For example, um, you know, as no the Node project adds new flags to its command line client, um, Mocha kind of supports those and passes them through, and so those would need to be added. But you know, what has kind of stopped me from just I guess that would feel to me like I failed in some way um, if I were, it would feel like giving up because 
you know, I know there are a lot of people that could use uh, a couple new features in particular. I know that I would like some of those new features. I know that, you know, what I'd really like to see for the project is a, a really solid API, a uh, really solid foundation on which people can build other tools um, for testing and really great integration with, you know, IDEs and, and text editors and kind of like stuff that uh, TypeScript has done. Um, and Mocha is simply just, just not there. It's not where at least personally I'm, I'm kind of happy with it. And so I, I don't really want it to be done um, because it's, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of personal. Just that, you know, I, I feel we could we could make not just myself happy by adding some things or refactoring some things, but but quite a lot of people too. And there's still plenty of work to be done on um, making the development experience better. Uh, for example, Mocha still has a make file, so you have to have that whole tool chain installed. Um, you can't, it's not, you know, just pure JavaScript. Um, you can't just, you know, run NPM, run whatever, and and have your scripts run and everything be JavaScript. If you're on Windows, you know, you got to install Visual Studio or, or what is it, that thing, MinGW or what have you, to, to even contribute to Mocha, to even build. And um, so there's there's plenty of things that, that need to be fixed there. Um, so you know, I, I don't I don't really want Mocha to be done, but it, it works and it works really well for a lot of people. And it's like, from what I can tell, it's pretty solid. Certainly, there's there's some issues that that people come across from time to time. There are quite a few issues that that have never been resolved, but they're not things that we're getting just hammered on. Um, you know, if if we break something major. We hear about it. Um, that's going to happen um, simply because of you know the the number of people that are using the software, and so um, I, I don't want it to be done. No. I'm curious what you think the scope of Mocha is, right? Because I can see this kind of alternate world where the scope um, has been completed. It, like you know, it's it's a test. You know, you you define a test format. A lot of these other competitors that we were talking about earlier, like actually use your test format, so you can use the same test between the different runners and stuff like that. So there's obviously like a lot of extra value that Mocha does on top of that. But there is this alternate world where you could say, well, that's our scope, and if you want TypeScript support, like there's this library, and if you want Visual Studio integration, there's this library. But it sounds like what you really want to see from the project, what your scope is, is you know a a much more useful kind of full-on test runner. Um, so I'm just curious kind of what you feel the, the, the full-on scope of Mocha is. I don't think it's much different than what it had always been declared to be, which uh, Mocha does two things. So it provides a convention for writing tests. It actually pr provides several different ones, so you can choose. But it, it provides this convention for writing tests, and then it provides... Um, a way to execute the tests, um, whether that's in the browser or the command line. And I guess this is three things. So then it provides a reporter um, that reports the test results. And so um, it, it doesn't have, it's not like a batteries included thing, like um, 
and, and this is a you know a, a criticism of it. Some people like it, some people don't. It's just one of those things. So, you know, it doesn't have assertions in it. So you can't. You, you need to pull in another library to use with Mocha. It won't do much just by itself. And so I, I don't think that the scope is much more than that. I, I think what I'm talking about in the, in the difference is is that. It does those things that it does, but it does them better. And it, it, it does them in a way that allows people who want Mocha to do more to build on top of it and make it do more. Um, that's what I really want to see out of it. Um, and right now, it's just not there. Uh, the, it doesn't have a – I guess it, it, the, the API is roughly documented. Um, for all intents and purposes, it's undocumented. And there are quite a few packages that are built on top of Mocha anyway and consuming output that was never intended for machines and, and stuff like that. And so that that's, makes it difficult to to make certain changes knowing that if I change this human-readable output, just like I draw a parallel between this and Node, um, where if you change the... Uh, text of an error message, <laughs> you're going to have to put that in the next major. So what about Mocha being done, but then there's you and then there's the, the projects? At what point do you feel like you could step away from Mocha? And if you haven't done that yet, then what keeps you from doing so? Well, um, late last year, uh, I started feeling a bit burnt out on the project uh, after feeling very frustrated about you know what I saw as kind of a failure to get the attention um, that I wanted for the project and get the contributions and, and maintainers um, that, that the project needed. And so I decided to take a break from it for, for a few months. And so I did that um, and it was okay. Uh, you know, there, there are um, a couple other maintainers right now who have um, picked up their contributions. Um, and, you know, I had uh, kind of raised an alarm on Twitter. I had written a message in our um, project readme that, that we need help. And at about that time, when I, when I did those things is when I decided to just kind of take a break. And so uh, in the meantime, while, while I was away, you know, we got some decent progress on, on the, the project's needs. And one of those was uh, better test coverage. But um, there have been quite a few people who have approached me and asked how they can help. Um, you know, and then of, of those people, uh, the, the people that follow, the number who follow through is, is, is less. And then of those people, the number who, who want to, you know, become maintainers is, is, is even fewer. Um, and, you know, we have yet to get kind of a, a somebody on board who is, who wants to be kind of dedicated to it. And so, um, you know, that's, that's tough. Uh, and if I feel like, um, I guess one of two things, there, there, there's a, there's a few, few options here. So one, if I feel like, you know, I've done what I can and there's no way this is going to, this project's going to get to where I want it to go. I'm just going to quit. Um, I mean, and that's, you know, that's just life, you know, it, it, it's kind of out of my hands. Um, obviously I can't do it by myself. I, I need help from other people to, to get it sustainable. And, and I need help from other people to take the project where I, I think it should go. Um, and if I feel that's not going to happen, then, you know, 
maybe I could walk away if I feel like the there are people on, on the project um, who are, are, are you know dedicated enough to, to kind of to pick it up and run with it and maybe they have their own ideas and those ideas are good and great let them do it um, again like there are other projects that I that I'm happy to work on um, and so those are kind of the the two ways in, in which I might feel like my my time with mocha is done um, you know if I can kind of limit my involvement and make sure I don't burn out and not let myself get too frustrated, um, then, you know, I can keep with the project indefinitely. And, you know, we can make baby steps to where it needs to be. And that's kind of where it's at right now. Um, I start contributing again um, just a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, it, it felt good. And um, you know, I'm just going to keep at it. And, you know, I'm, I was really happy to see that, uh, you know, some people answered the call of, you know, this project needs a lot of help. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll just kind of play it by ear, but, um, yep, that's, uh, that's how I might end up leaving the project. I don't, I don't want to quit Mocha if, if I don't, if I don't have to, or, um, you know, if, if I stop using Mocha for whatever reason I might, but, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to stay with it. I think that's a really good note to uh, take us out on. So th thanks for coming on. This has been a, a really, really great uh, conversation, actually. So yeah, we really Chris. appreciated it. We've got some like incredible insights uh, in here. So thank you very much. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Request for Commits. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. Read us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors, Linode, Hired, and Bugsnag. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. We host everything we do on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. Request for Commits is hosted by Nadia Ekbal and Michael Rogers. Editing is done by Jonathan Youngblood. And the awesome music you've been hearing is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find more shows just like this at changelaw.com or by subscribing to our weekly email at changelaw.com slash weekly. Thanks for listening.